I want to ask all of you to welcome every campus. Come on, we welcome you here to the Word. Good morning to you. I know you missed that one hour of sleep. Uh, God is good. There's no doubt about it, but this series is going to make him even better for you because uh, we're going to be talking about how there is nothing new, nothing new. Uh, the scripture makes it clear in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, what has been will be again, like there's nothing new. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Nothing new. So what we're going to do is we're going to take some different characters in the Bible. Like this weekend, we're taking Jacob. And we're going to talk about how the very things that they struggled with, even though it seems like ancient problems, they are extremely modern. And in fact, we go through some of the same things. And when I look at some of the heroes of the faith, people that blew it or made it, I'm constantly reminded of his grace. Like, have you ever wondered why the Bible is a thousand pages long? Thousand pages, why is it so big? Because it's God constantly giving us another chance over and over and over again. How many appreciate that about God? If I would have been God, the, the Bible would have been 2.5 pages. Until I got to the point where I saw them naked and I smote them and killed them. The end. That would be it. <laughs> but not God. God gives grace. And I hope that you never forget this talk that I'm going to give you today. Unfortunately, I've been pastoring a long time and I know you will forget it. Uh, in fact, the sad thing is most people forget what I preach on by Monday afternoon. Uh, but that's why we give you notes. Because you can write down some of these ideas and you can remember them for a long time. And here's the title of this talk. Don't wrestle with God. Just don't do it. Tip of the lifetime. Just do not do it. This is what Jacob did. And I want to let you know uh, that God is going to win the battles. So it's a great thing for us to resign and just like give him, like give him our lives. This week, I was reading about this FBI director, Comey, and he was describing about privacy in America. Uh, I don't remember all of his words, but I wrote down, I should have looked it up, but I wrote down what I remembered. He said, there is no longer any privacy in America. He said, it's with your emails, your secrets with the internet. He said, not to alarm you, but neither are your thoughts private. And he kept building this case. He said, private conversations that you have with your spouse, with clergy, with lawyers, in the right situation is no longer going to be private. He said, a judge in the right situation could force someone to testify. These are his words, not mine. He said, there is no such thing as absolute privacy because there is nothing outside of judicial reach any longer. And in fact, I uh, went on further to study that we all know that you can be spied upon. If you have a smartphone, uh, there is so much access into your home. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just setting you up for this talk. Your computers, your TV, you can be spied upon with your cable box. 
with your dishwasher, your microwave, your oven, your lights for crying out loud, your air conditioning, security alarms, your insulin pumps and pacemakers. Because if it's worked with your phone, then people know when it's on and when it's not and when you're programming it. And if they hack in, they can even tell where you are when you're doing all these things. I don't know all the rules about this, but here's what I do know. If you look at the Word of God, it makes it clear, and this is a great thing for you to know. There's never been any privacy. Never. Because the Bible says what is hidden will be exposed. There is no such thing as privacy. So a lot of us, we may think we're getting away with different things, but the Lord actually knows. And that's where you've got to know that Jesus is amazing at forgiving you, and he already knows what you're up against. So why are you fighting against what the Spirit of the Lord is trying to do inside of you anyway? Look at this verse, Luke 8, 17. I just want to say that again. We might think we're losing our right to privacy, but we've never had any privacy. It's all going to be exposed. We live differently when we know we're being watched. Look at this verse. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out in the open. My Sunday school teacher would have taught it. There's nothing that can be hidden. You're a sad, wicked man. <laughs> but I'm only eight. You're still a wicked man. This is the way I would read that verse. But if you read the entire Bible, we know that every sin has to be paid for. But you don't have to pay for yours. It's the fact that you invite Christ in to trade places with you. And that's a really good decision. Because here's another verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. For God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Uh, I, I love this verse in Matthew 24, 13, because I don't know how you're running right now, but, but this thing is not a sprint. Like, like we're running and we want to finish. And uh, Jacob, he, he ultimately got these things right, uh, but he wrestled against the things of God his entire life when he was in his mother's womb. But, but the verse says in Matthew 24, 13, he that endures until the end shall be saved. How many appreciate the grace of God? Would you praise his holy name? Come on. He's amazing. He just holds us out to the end. I was thinking about just quickly this Tanzanian. I've shared this before. And the 1976 Olympics, if I'm not mistaken, in Mexico City, this Tanzanian was supposed to win it all, but he hurt his leg. I don't think he broke his leg, but he hurt his leg in the race. And so everyone continued to run, and then the race was done, and everyone packed up and went home. But there was a reporter that heard that this Tanzanian kept running, even on a very injured leg. So this reporter went to the stadium. This is documented stuff. And uh, she went into the stadium where you take your last final laps. And when she got there, there was no lights on. No one was there. But this Tanzanian was continuing to run. And she just went to the finish line and waited for him to finish. And it took a long time. 
And then finally, he crashed over the finish line in agony and pain. And she said, why did you keep going? No one's here. No one's even seeing what's happening. What are you doing? Why did you do this? And the Tanzanian said, my country didn't send me here to start this race. My country sent me here to finish it. I think this is the same reason why the Lord gave his life. Not so we could start out with him, but so we can finish strong with him. Speaking of Olympics, in the ancient Olympics, uh, there was a race that the winner was not the runner who finished first. It was the runner who finished with his torch still lit. And this is who wins in the race with Christ, like keeping the light on, man. Amen. How many of you guys appreciate our lead pastor, Pastor Rick? Always good hearing from him, his heart. Him and his cool hipster jacket. What? <laughs> what I appreciate about what he was saying, you know, Jesus didn't just give his life so we could start the race. He gave his life so we could finish it strong. But the great thing is when Jesus rose from the grave, his effort for us didn't stop there. His effort to help us finish our race strong is every single day, in every hour of the day. In fact, there's a verse that talks about this. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, this word mediator is so important for me and you. Because that word means it's someone that intervenes in a relationship that has a tendency towards separation. And says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us all the time. Knowing what it's like to be human. Knowing what it's like to feel the things that you and I feel. And Jesus, understanding those things, goes to work on our behalf every day of every hour, of every minute, of every second, with every situation, with every circumstance, with every sin, no matter what it is. Jesus is fighting for us to finish this thing and to finish it strong. The passage of scripture we're gonna to look to today in regards to Jacob, he's in a place of running and wrestling and it's not going well for him. We're gonna see what we can learn from this. In Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 22, there's a lot of scripture here, but I want you guys to read along, stay with me on this. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives. Thank God we don't go with that anymore. One wife is plenty. Amen. His two female servants, his 11 sons. Could you imagine the car insurance in that family? And cross the ford of Jabach. That's not how you say it, but I like to say it that way because it's fun. Jabach. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled, or wrestled, as you say down here in the south, wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob answered the man and said, your name will no longer... Oh, my name is Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. 
But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his faith. I find that a lot of people are in places in life where they're wrestling and fighting. I don't know if you ever feel that way. You feel like, man, it's just this is a struggle. Just a constant, all the time, every day, wrestling. I felt that way this morning. Just to be honest with you, I don't know if it was the hour change or what, but just my morning was off. I got out of my normal rhythm, and when I got here to church, I was just like, I'm, like, I'm going to be all up in the flesh. I'm going to have to get saved before I can even start church today because this, I just was not in a good place, just wrestling and struggling. And, and Ethan and I, actually, we, had to, we got together for the service because he was feeling a little bit the same way. And we, we just prayed, and we just surrendered and just said, God, we just give you, we're not, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. The enemy hates this church. He hates you. He hates what we're trying to do here. I find that most of you are way worse at fighting than you think you are. Like you stink at it. I don't know if anybody was a fighter when you were growing up. I got in a lot of fights when I was growing up. Unfortunately, I was always really scrawny and weak, so I got beat up a lot. I mean, it wasn't really ever a fight, really ever. When I was in seventh grade, I got in this fight. How many of you guys know, you always remember the bullies' names in your life? How many of you guys remember the bullies' names in your life? All right, I remember this guy's name. His name was Joseph. Joseph was like a guy that flunked eighth grade eight times. He was like 20, full beard, the whole deal, like walking around in junior high. And I remember he had this issue with me, so he decided he just wanted to fight me one morning, you know? So my dad, he, he taught me, you know, if, don't just sit there and, and take a beating. You're like, you can defend yourself. So as soon as he pushed me, man, I was like, I'm going to do a wrestling move on him. So I went for his legs and realized he's large and not moving anywhere. And it was a mistake because he just picked me up, put me in a headlock, and just started beating on my face. I got a broken nose, two black eyes, which is the maximum amount of black eyes you can get in that situation. And just, guy was just going to town on me. Well, this other guy, who was a big, strong guy too, felt bad for me. And so he stepped in, like threw me away, and then went to town on this guy. So at first I was like, man, this is awesome. Thank you, man. Thanks for stepping up. And then I realized I just came in third place in a fight. Like, that's how bad I was at fighting. Well, some of y'all stink at fighting too, but you think that you're good at it. And so you constantly are wrestling and trying to make things happen for you in your life. At this point, Jacob, man, he is having a tough time. Everything is catching up to him because he's a liar and he's a deceiver. And so he took his inheritance from his brother his brother Esau is like a man's man, like big, tough dude. And Esau is after him. He's got 400 warriors that are with him. And, and he knows that Esau is actually on the other side of this creek. So get, it, get what's going on here. Jacob knows his brother's over there with these warriors. So you know what Jacob does? He sends his wives to go talk to Esau first. That'd be like waking up in the middle of the night, somebody's breaking into my house. I'm like, Cody, go see what's going on. Go, girl. Go get them. 
this guy's a weasel. Just pathetic. But that's where he's at in this place when he has this encounter with God. Jacob's messed up, but he had one major thing going for him, and that is the word says that God loved him. God loved him. God loved him in spite of him. There's a couple of things, I think, some lessons we can learn from Jacob through this story. First of all, you have to understand who is in control. You have to understand who's in control, like really in control. I find that a lot of times, even as believers, we like to hold on to percentages. It's like, man, God, you are in control. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. You're in control. 85%. I'll give you 85%. But there's this one, there's 15%. There's this one thing. Uh, uh, I don't think you know best on that one. I'm going to hold on to that. God is in control. In verse 24, it says, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, we know that this wasn't actually a man. It was actually God. And there's several instances. First of all, he named the place Peniel, which means coming face to God, face to face with God. Okay? But there's also this verse in Hosea, chapter 12, verse 3. Before Jacob was born, he struggled with, God, with his brother when he became a man, he even fought with God. Now, a lot of theologians believe this was actually Jesus. That he is wrestling with Jesus. Trust me, you will not win fighting against God. Wrestling against God, you're just not going to win. But here's Jacob, and he's giving it his best effort, wrestling with God. I find that a lot of you are wrestling with God with your calling. You're wrestling with God with your purpose. You know without a shadow of a doubt that God has placed something inside of you that he wants you to do, and you wrestle with him every single day, refusing to answer that call, refusing to answer to that purpose. And I just want to let you know the most unhappy seasons in your life are when you are wrestling against God and not answering your call and not stepping into your purpose. Those are going to be miserable seasons for you. I know from experience. When God is asking you to do something, when God is asking you to be someone for him and for his kingdom, and you're wrestling against that, and you're fighting against that, that will be a season of your life where there will be no peace and no joy and no rest. You know what? That's a good thing. But I do find that sometimes what happens is if you experience success, then all of a sudden you think you've got some control. I've seen this with businessmen. They go to start a business, and before they start the business, man, they are desperate. They're all like on their face before God, like, God, help us. If you don't show up, this is going to go bad. This is terrible, but God, if you'll help us, bless it, God, please help us do whatever. And then they have a couple years of success, and all of a sudden they start taking credit for the things that are going well around them. Like, man, we really figured out how to do some business around here. Yeah, we got this. All of a sudden, they quit coming to church or they quit serving. They quit giving. If they do give, they only give to organizations that help benefit their business. But they quit trusting God. The sad thing is you can see this happen in churches too. One of the things that we're very aware of is it could happen to us. But it won't because we know that it could happen to us. But I've seen this happen in churches where before they, 
They started a church. They planted a church. Man, they were on their face before God. They realized that without him and without his presence, they couldn't have a church. They're desperate for him, broken before him. But then they get into it and they experience a little bit of success as a church. They start growing a little bit and all of a sudden they're saying, hey, man, if y'all want to figure out how to do church, come talk to us. We know what's going on. We got this going on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Watch out, big boy. That is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Success can trap us into thinking that we have some amount of control. You know that there are cars that are out right now that will drive themselves? Did you know that? Like they've got these sensors on them that if you get too close to another car, you get too close to a barrier or something like that, it'll correct it for you. Well, a few weeks ago, we had to have one of our cars in the shop, and so they gave me a loaner car that had all these features. Problem is, they didn't tell me. So I'm driving down through Jacksonville, through the obstacle course that is 167, and I'm going through that spot that's tight, especially if you're next to an 18-wheeler. And I just got a little bit closer to one of those barriers. All of a sudden, the car started turning. I didn't know. I'm like, God is in the car. (laughs) I just started singing, Jesus, take the wheel. I mean, I just, I surrender all. (laughs) Thing is, though, I don't actually like it. I'll never own one of those cars because I like control. Like, don't tell me how close I can get to the barrier. I know how close I can get to the barrier. A lot of us have the same perspective in our lives. I don't like how your word tells me not to get too close to that. Don't tell me not to get too close to that. I know how close I can get and still be safe. And God is trying to rescue you. The word of God is not here to keep you confined. The word of God here is to keep you safe so you can experience life. Because when you hit the barrier, it's going to be a bad day. And if you hit the barrier down there, it's a bad day for everyone else too. And I got to hear about them complaining. I think it's best to give God control. I find, though, that a lot of times the issue is we have the fear of the change. If we surrender control, we know that we're going to have to change. And, and, And I find that a lot of times, even though there is pain in the situation, because we have control instead of God having control, unless the pain is greater than the fear of change, we won't change. Unless it gets to a place where it's just so uncomfortable we can't handle it, we don't want to change because the change scares us. Cody and I, we, we had four kids in a little under six years. Oh, God. And after that, we didn't want any more kids. The problem was I was too nervous and scared to do anything about it, if you know what I mean. And so there was a season there where it was a dilemma. 
But I found in time, I was more afraid of not doing it. It put me in a place where I realized I was more afraid of not doing it than doing it, if you know what I mean. And so I finally scheduled the appointment. I'm like, just schedule it. Do this. And it was fine until I was in the room waiting on the procedure and the nurse comes walking in and she says, don't you pastor a new life church? I just started attending there. And that is the only person that I have prayed out of this church with everything that is inside of me. I'm serious. She don't go here no more. She's somewhere else. I don't know. She moved somewhere. I don't know if that has anything to do with the message, but it's a funny story. Number two, understand the blessing of commitment. Understand the blessing of commitment. I find that people quit way too early. It's a cultural epidemic right now and, and, and I think it's it just feels like man there's just always going to be more options I got lots of other options if this doesn't work I can just move to this one that's why the covenant of marriage just doesn't seem to matter as much anymore because it's like oh, I'm just, I just I tried kind of and then and then people just they quit but here's the deal when you quit you miss the blessing There's a blessing in being committed to something. In verse 26, it says, Then the man said, Let me go, for it's dawn. But Jacob panted, I won't let you go unless you bless me. I think that is a great place to be with God. I think a great place to be with God is in my worship and how I serve, and how I give, and how I love, and how I stand for relationships, and how I stand for marriage. I'm going to hold on to you with everything I have until you bless it again. I'm not letting go. No, I don't feel like worshiping because I lost an hour of sleep and it's freezing cold outside. But you know what? I'm not going to let my feelings dictate my approach to God. I'm going to let my faith dictate my approach to God and I'm going to hold on to you until I feel your blessing again. I'm going to worship you because you're worthy. Committed to the things of God. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, but you asked God for help. He gave you the victory. God is always on alert, constantly on the lookout for people who are totally committed to him. But you were foolish and you went to human help when you could have had God's help. And now you're in trouble. And it's one round of war after another. Some of you feel like, man, well, I tried, but God just didn't answer my prayer. Look, God always answers prayer. Every prayer that you have ever prayed, God has answered it. But you have to understand the way God answers prayer. Because sometimes God clearly says no. And sometimes God says not yet. And then sometimes God says yes. But every prayer that you've ever offered to your heavenly father, he has answered it. And here's the thing. It is good for us 
that God doesn't answer our prayers the way we think he should answer our prayers. Because if God just like, every time we ask for something, you know, it's like the Midas touch, bam, you get it, here it is. We would wind up being spoiled rotten, first of all, but I am convinced of this too. A majority of the people in this room would have married the wrong person because you thought your prayer was answered, but it wasn't God that gave that to you. That's what happened in my life. The year after my, the summer after my first year in Bible school, I had, I had met Cody yet, but she didn't know she was in love with me yet. She was still trying to figure things out. And, um, and I honestly, I wasn't, I wasn't sure. I met her, but I was like, well, I don't know if this girl's going to be around or not. But I, so I started dating this girl down in San Antonio. Started dating this girl, and it got pretty serious pretty quick. And in fact, like within a month and a half, we're talking about marriage. Stupid. But I was just like, man, God, thank you for bringing me this woman. This is awesome. This has got to be the will of God. My feels feel so good right now. This is, oh, this is great. But I, I had to go back. I was going back to Bible college. And so I got back to Colorado to go to Bible college. A couple weeks later, I get a call. And she's like, hey, I just want to let you know I've decided to move on. And this friend of yours. <laughs> we really feel led that the Lord has called us to be together. And I was all broken heart. How could you? But that girl turned out to be a psycho. <laughs> like straight up stalker psycho chick. In fact, the guy she started dating, my friend called me up like, dude, what do I do? Like the other night I'm sleeping. I wake up, she's standing outside my window watching me sleep. Like, what do I do? I said, well, you call the cops. That's what you do. <laughs> and not only was she a psycho, but her mama was like, had the double portion of anointing of psycho. Like Crazy. So in the words of the great theologian, sometimes you got to thank God for unanswered prayers. Because sometimes the prayers that you prayed, they weren't in God's will. And you can be thankful. And trust him. And stay committed while you're waiting for the answer. While you're waiting for him to answer. He is answering. It may just not be the same way you want him to answer. But he sees it. Don't give up. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Hang in there. You also have to understand this. Some of the issues that you're dealing with, they have been cultivating in your life for years. And sometimes because of you, not because of God, but because of you, it's going to take some time to work through those issues. It's going to take some time to pull the roots, to expose why it's really there, and all the reasons why it's there. The Holy Spirit will work in that, but you've got to stay committed and understand that it can take some time. As a pastor from time to time, I'll get a call like in the middle of the night, like 3 o'clock in the morning. Some guy 
I'm like, hello? Pastor James, I need you right now. Ah, my marriage is in so much trouble. I'm like, okay. But I've learned to ask this question. Oh, all right. Uh, how long has your marriage been in trouble? Oh, like 15 years. That's when I hang up. Because it's still going to be screwed up in the morning. And we can deal with it then. Y'all like, I'm never going to call you with anything that I need. <laughs> the point is this. <laughs> there are some things that you have jacked up in your life that can't be healed in an instant. And Jesus or God is not your genie, but he is your great counselor. And sometimes it's going to take him working as a counselor so that the healing and whatever he does, it lasts and doesn't just give you a warm fuzzy thinking you fix it in a second. You're going to have to trust them with the process, but you got to stay committed to get to that point. Number three, understand the power of an honest confession. Understand the power of an honest confession. I find that we have a very difficult time accepting personal responsibility. And some of you are like, no, not me. We have an issue with with. When we're looking at these seasons, these, these times in our lives, which is realizing, I think I might be the problem. Like, I'm the common denominator. Like, when you have issue with friendship after friendship and relationship after relationship after relationship, at one point or another, you've you got to start being honest with yourself and look in the mirror. And understand, maybe, that, maybe that's me. I want you to know when you can come to a place of sincerity and honesty, I get so excited for you because I know that it's in that place of weakness and vulnerability that God is going to be able to show up. He's going to be able to start working in your life. If you can be honest, if you can be real, Jacob had to come to this place, and verse 27 says, The man asked him, he's asking Jacob, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Okay, here's the deal. He said his name thousands of times before. But this time it's different. You see, when a name was given in those times, it was given based on the characteristics, the attributes, the physical attributes the personality attributes of the person that they were giving it to. The name Jacob meant manipulator and deceiver. So even though Jacob had said his name a thousand times to other people in other situations, it's the first time he was honest with God about who he really was. I'm Jacob. I manipulate, I lie, I deceive people for my own benefit, for my own gain. That's who I am. And Jacob had been acing that his whole life, his whole life he had been living according to the attributes of his name. Even before he was born, he was a twin. 
So his twin brother is being born first. The word of God says that Jacob was grabbing the heel, the ankle. When he was born, he was grabbing the heel of his brother. Because even as a baby, this was a prophetic. A newborn child doesn't understand. But it was prophetic of how he was going to live the rest of his life because he knew if Esau was born first, then Esau had the inheritance. And Jacob wanted it for himself, and he lived the rest of his life like that. Like he lied to a senile dad, manipulated his brother to get the inheritance, constantly working things for his own good, for his own benefit, his whole life in this place. But he's finally owning it. He's finally putting himself in a place of vulnerability and weakness. And in that place, God can work with him. 1 Peter 5.5 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. All of us have been in a season of our life where we have been in opposition to God. Because we refuse to admit our weakness, to admit our sin, to admit we just didn't have it all together. <sighs> Raising kids, you, you have a lot more grace for your kids when they're humble. You ever notice that? Like there are a lot of things in our house that my kids could get away with if I just believed they were being honest about stuff. <laughs> but... But it's not natural for kids to be honest, especially if they know they're going to get in trouble about something. But if they, if they did something and I went to them and confronted them on like, Dad, it was me. I am so sorry. Will you please, please forgive me, old father? <laughs> I would be like, yes, my child. <laughs> Go in his grace and peace. But the problem is pride is in them. Pride is in them. They don't want to be weak. They don't want to admit. Sometimes they try to be cute about it. Right? Our littlest, Grayson. The other day, she comes walking out of her room. She's got these shoes on that we knew we had put in a really high spot so she couldn't wear them. They were way too high for her to be able to reach them. She comes out wearing these shoes. Well, this is a problem. Because we know somehow she has built an apparatus that has allowed her to reach said shoes. And if she can reach said shoes, she can also reach other things that we don't want her to reach. And so Cody confronts her on it. Like, Grayson, how did you get those shoes down from where they were? And without any hesitation, as, as serious as she possibly could, she looked her straight in the eyes and said, magic. Oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> we still don't know how she got him down. I guess it was magic. I don't know. <laughs> no clue. Isn't it interesting how sometimes we think we can fool God? Like, like he doesn't know our innermost thoughts. The things in our subconscious that we're not even aware of, that he's aware of. And we're like, God, I'm sorry. You got this wrong. Really? 
God opposes the proud. But he gives grace when you're just willing to be totally weak before him. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Okay, there's a big difference here. It's the difference between being sorry because you got caught and just admitting you're weak and you need God to help you. I suggest you go to the place of weakness before you have to go to the place of caught. It's way more difficult. Understand that God will change your walk forever. Understand that God will change your walk forever. Verse 28, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's because I saw God face to face. Jacob admitted his name was manipulator, liar, deceiver. And God says, that's the old you. We're not going to call you that anymore. Because you surrendered. You admitted you were weak. And because you admitted you're weak, your new name is Israel. The name Israel means prince with God. Such a powerful picture. It wound up being the name of an entire nation. But it also means you can't be a prince unless you're a son of the king. In spite of everything that Jacob had done, Jesus pursued him, allowed him to wrestle allowed him to struggle, allowed him to do all those things until he came to a place where he just said, okay, this is who I am. But I know who you are and I'm not letting go until you bless me. But the cool thing is this. God touched him and he never walked the same again. And that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to touch you so you never walk the same again. Literally, Jacob could never run away from God again because he got a touch from God and changed him. Here's the thing. Some of you guys, you've been touched by different things in life and it has affected you. It is it has wounded you spiritually. It's wounded you emotionally. Some of you, it's wounded you physically. You, you've been touched by these things. And what you don't realize is God wants to work all things for your good, including those things, including those limps in your heart, including those limps in your spirit. Let those things be a touch from God. If you do, then it'll change from a sad story into a powerful testimony. And that's what God wants to do. That's what he did with Jacob. He said, look, if we just went with what you've done, if we just went with what's done to you, if we just went with the story, then it would be sad. 
And your name would still be Jacob. And that's how everyone would know you. They would know you by your story, the story you wrote for yourself, the story that some situation wrote for you, the story that someone else wrote for you. That's what you'd be known for. But when you get in the presence of God and he touches you and the blood of Jesus is applied to your story, that's when it becomes a testimony. And you'll never walk the same. You'll never walk the same from that place forward. And that's what he wants to do here today. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. If you're here today and you know that you have been wrestling with God and more specifically you've been wrestling with even having a relationship with God and you haven't surrendered to him I want to give you an opportunity and let you know you don't have to keep fighting you don't have to keep fighting there's a place to surrender that he has for you There's a place of salvation for you. There's a place of hope for eternity for you. But the only way you get to that place is you have to surrender. Specifically, you have to surrender to the fact that you can't save yourself. That God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. And when you confess him as your Lord and as your savior, he will save you. He'll also, he'll touch you in such a way that you'll never walk the same. If you're here today and you know that you need to surrender your life to Jesus, or maybe you know that you, you did surrender at one point, but, but you know that you have walked away from him. You've been distracted. You've been doing things on your own, maybe because of success or maybe because of failure. And right now you feel You feel knocked down in life. It's a great place to be on your back because it causes you to look up. I want you to know that God's looking at you. And if you need to rededicate your life, come back to him this morning. If you're either one of those people and you're ready to surrender your life to God for the first time or the first time in a long time, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything weird, but I'm gonna ask you to be bold enough to admit it I want to pray for you. If that's you, will you put your hand up? As soon as I see, you can put your hand down. Got it? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Anybody else? There? A couple hands back there. Thank you, guys. Got it, buddy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anybody else? I need to surrender to Jesus today. I'm tired of wrestling. Got it, guys. Thank you, ladies. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Thanks. God's going to honor it. Got it. They're on the end. Thanks, bro. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Thank you guys, got it, got it. Anybody else? I need to surrender. Thank you, sir, got it. I respect that. Yes, ma'am. It's in our weaknesses, power is made perfect. Let's just admit, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Anybody else? Make sure I saw you, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Got it. Praise God. (laughs) Man, God is so good. Anybody else? (laughs) Some of you are literally wrestling with God about raising your hand right now. Surrender. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else?
God. For every person that you just raise your hand up, I want you just to have a really honest conversation. This is where you admit you're weak and you need him. And just tell him that. Just say, God, I need you. I, I, I admit that I can't save myself. I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I surrender my life to that right now. I surrender my life to you as my Lord. I want you to have control and I don't wanna live for myself and I don't wanna do this on my own anymore. I wanna trust in you. And I'm gonna trust in your timing. I'm gonna trust in your word. And I pray that you lead me by your Holy Spirit. Help me to understand your love for me. Help me to understand your purpose, your plan for me. And I won't resist it, God. I wanna be surrendered to it for the rest of my life. I give my life to you. God, that is the prayer of every one of us. Because some of us, we've been a believer for a long time, but we've spent way too much of that time wrestling with you. And God, we're not interested in having control, no matter what percentage it is. We want you to have 100% of the control of our lives. Because when you win, we win. We thank you, Jesus, that you already won, so we don't have to keep striving. We don't have to keep fighting. We don't have to keep wrestling, because you already paid the price. And we just surrender to the work of the cross in our own lives. We surrender to what you've already done in our lives. And we give you the glory, we give you the praise that you're gonna use our lives to be a testimony for your greatness, for your glory, for your love and grace. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, give the Lord a hand and thank him for his word this morning.